0: Welcome back to the Football Outsiders Fantasy Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Spratt, a writer for FootballOutsiders.com, part of Edge Sports. I have Howard Bender joining me on the today's episode to discuss the best waiver wire options for Week 12. But before we get there, I want to mention that Football Outsiders has a deal for you this holiday season. You can get 50% off the entire store right now, no promo required. Get access to all the advanced football analytics and metrics you know and love, like DVOA and DYAR. You can get access to the FO Plus database for NFL picks, historical Football Outsiders almanac PDFs. And uh, of course, my weekly fantasy projections, you can get all of that right now at a great price for the rest of the season at 50% off without a promo code from now until Monday the 30th. So check that out. And I'll also mention this show was brought to you by Edge Sports, trusted by Super Bowl champions and billion-dollar betting syndicates. Only Edge Sports offers a fully customizable probability engine, interactive matchup models, and spread and over-under projections. Find your edge today with promo code FANTASY50 to save 50, uh, 50% off site-wide. That's code FANTASY50 to save 50% off site-wide. And that's Edge Sports EDJ Sports. Okay, perfect. Let's head over to that interview with Howard. Okay, joining me on the show today is Howard Bender, VP of Operations at Fantasy Alarm and radio host on Sirius XM
1: Radio. Howard, thanks so much for joining. Happy Thanksgiving week. How's it going? It's going real, real well. Thank you for having me here, Scott. And yeah, Thanksgiving, uh, always a big time for me. I'm a, I'm a big guy and I love to eat <laughs> and, I, and I just bought a new pair of elastic waistband pants just for the holiday. You're ready to go. Uh,
0: hopefully we get all three games. As we're recording this, we're getting all this breaking news about how several Ravens may or may not have COVID. And I'm hoping that doesn't threaten the, the Raven Steelers game on Thanksgiving Day because that's obviously the game that I want to watch. In fact, there's a player that we're going to talk about today that could be involved in that game and may get pushed around. Um, but I'm going to let you get started, Howard, with with our waiver wire game of the week. I'll let you go first. Who is an interesting waiver wire ad for, for week 12 for fantasy players?
1: Well, I think, you know, one of the things that i've I've noticed you can't ever have too many running backs I mean unless That's you a have a a a roster uh limit um you know we've just we've seen injuries ravage the position beyond belief uh and there are just there there are very few bell cow backs available. so uh you know when you take a look at a guy like Salvan Ahmed uh, from Miami, I think that this is actually a really interesting play. Um, You know, in deeper formats, I was telling people to pick him up uh, a couple of weeks ago, and he's still I mean, his ownership percentages uh, on main sites like ESPN and Yahoo are still fairly low. Uh, You look at what Ahmed has done and, uh, you know, you kind of have to love this kid. I mean, just this this past week, uh, they left Matt Breida and Patrick Laird on the bench in favor of Ahmed uh, getting the majority of touches and majority of targets as well. Uh, out of the backfield, and if there's one thing that we've kind of learned from Brian Flores, aside from the fact that he keeps things pretty close to his vest as far as uh, who's going to play and who isn't going to play, he does like going with that one running back. And you know, yeah. we we saw him turn to Miles Gaskin uh, instead of Jordan Howard, instead of Matt Breida, instead of Patrick Laird, uh, and he really he was happy to roll with Gaskin. Ahmed kind of, I mean, aside from the fact that Ahmed also is a a Washington product, just like Gaskin, uh, he gives you that complete running back that you're looking for. uh, And, you know, I don't know when the last time you heard anything, Scott, about Miles Gaskin coming (laughs) back, but his three weeks on the IR is supposed to be up right now, like this week. uh, And I haven't heard word one about him even doing individual drills on the sidelines at practice. So- for me, Ahmed's a guy who you really want to get a piece of right now, especially I'll tell you, if you know, if they are going to go back and forth, I know Tua is supposed to start next week against the Jets, which is, you know, hopefully everybody every every quarterback slump buster, but if they go with whether it's Tua or FitzPatrick, this offense needs to lean on the backfield for support and if Ahmed's available, man, I'll I'll take a guy who's going to get me 15 touches a game, sure. Yeah, Howard,
0: I agree with you pretty much entirely on this one. Just speaking about the backs that the team currently has access to, uh, Ahmed played 66% of offensive snaps last week versus 26% for Patrick Laird and just 11% for Matt Breida, who was, I think, the last player among the healthy options for the team we thought might come in and get involved. So at least while Gaskin is out, it seems like Ahmed is the player. Um, I find it fascinating that he and Gaskin played on the same college team because it's just like – it, I'm trying to kind of use that to suss out like who is going to be the back that plays when Gaskin comes back. But like you, I haven't heard any news. Maybe fantasy players will have more news when they hear this or maybe at least before the waiver wire uh, bids are due by the end of Tuesday. But you know, it was a sprained MCL for Gaskin, which I know they gave an estimate of three weeks, but that just playing around with those knee ligaments always makes me a little bit nervous that it could take longer than that. But I think the real fascinating question here and maybe why his – his um, roster percentages are lagging a little bit in the major sites is the question of whether when both players are back, can Ahmed potentially take this job? And, you know, I'm still not sure. Like I've been watching all of Ahmed's plays um, prior to the recording of this show, and he's definitely very fast. And like most of his big gaining plays are the breakout side plays, turning the corner, kind of what you think about with a Phillip Lindsay, although probably not quite that fast, but he's averaging a very low 1.0 yards after contact per attempt and not necessarily that that's something that Gaskin excels in, but he's done better in that respect this season. Ahmed is five foot eleven and one hundred and ninety six pounds. I think he is an effective runner for certain types of runs and an effective receiver, which we saw his target share increase a lot in his second start. But like, I'm not sure I agree that he is like a do everything for you back. But I'm also not sure the Dolphins have another option to be sort of that third down and short or goal line back. So maybe Ahmed gets that work anyway. Do you, do you have any thoughts about? about
1: that type of workload uh, for the team going forward. I, I think between Ahmed and, and Gaskin, let's say Gaskin comes back and he's good to go, right? Mm-hmm. I, I think uh, between the two of them, I mean, I, I know Brian Flores really prefers to go with the one guy, but you're looking at, at a schedule coming up. I mean, they they play the Jets, then the Bengals, then the Chiefs. Then the, then the New England Patriots in week 15, and then the Raiders in week yeah. 16. Those are five straight bottom-feeding uh, run defenses here. So, you know, this could be a situation where we just want to take all the pressure off of Tua uh, and know that we've got these two running backs uh, who can definitely do the damage. And maybe, you know, maybe it's one of those situations where You know, they sit there and they and they run one. You know, not not so much alternating series, but more on the lines of, oh, we'll start off this uh, this game with Gaskin, but Ahmed with fresh legs can be more explosive uh, and and work it that way. I think at worst, Ahmed's played his way into a share, and I think it's it's Mm -hmm. ahead of uh, a guy like Brita or a guy like Laird. I think that the Dolphins have realized basically what they've got in these players uh, and having a guy like Ahmed who, yeah, he's, he's, I mean, listen, he's not, he's not tiny for uh for a running back, five foot 11, five foot 10 is, uh, is still pretty decent size for, uh, for some of these, uh, for some of these players. And he's got, you know, he's got an elusiveness on him that I think uh, helps state his case for, uh, for going between the tackles.
0: Yeah, and I think the, the point that you made about their upcoming schedule is the critical one here. Even though we don't really know how this is going to play out, you need to have Ahmed on all of your rosters. You need to have Gaskin still on your rosters too because if there's any clarity um, in the next week or two, then you're going to have the fantasy playoffs where you can really take advantage and probably get some good production from whichever of those players ends up being the guy, hopefully with just one of them being the guy. Okay, let's shift over to my first recommendation for Week 12, and that's J.K. Dobbins running back for the Ravens. Uh, he had he had kind of been a starter, so to speak, those two games that, that Mark Ingram missed, but this is the first time that all three backs have been healthy and that Dobbins really kind of took the lead in this backfield. He had 15 carries and two catches in the game, whereas uh, Gus Edwards had just three uh, carries, no catches, Ingram two carries and, and no tar- uh, no targets either. So a big increase in, in offensive snap share, 63% for him in this game, just 20% for Edwards, 9% for Ingram. As best I can tell, Ingram never suffered an injury in this game. I know this may be a lingering consideration from previous weeks, but I think what this may just be is that Dobbins is kind of asserting himself um, as the the best runner on the team. Uh, so for the season, he has a 5.3 yards for carry average, but I would say most importantly, 2.0 yards after contact per attempt whereas Edwards has been at 2.2 and Ingram at 1.5. Ingram sort of had the role as being the the between-the-tackles player for this offense previously, but now that we've kind of gotten deep enough in the season where all of these backs have touched the ball enough times, I think maybe the Ravens are realizing that Dobbins is a little bit more uh, capable of that in-between-the-tackle work. And given that he was already more than doubling both Edwards and Ingram um, from a receiving perspective with an 8.2% target share, uh, I just think that maybe Dobbins – is providing the versatility this offense needs to maybe not be quite so predictable. I know that's something that, that Lamar Jackson has been harping on of late, that maybe defenses have been able to pick up what they're doing offensively pre-snap. Maybe Dobbins can be an answer for them and provide a little bit of deceptiveness in their offense, contributing both as a runner and receiver going forward. What do you think about Dobbins? Do you think this, this signals a breakout
1: for him going the rest of the season? I really hope it does. (laughs) You you know, you get to that point where you're like, it's about time. You know, Mark Ingram, listen, he's 30 years old. Uh, How many times? I mean, look at at the players that we've seen right now who are, you know, 30 and above uh, who have just fallen off a cliff this year. Julian Edelman, T.Y. Hilton, Mark Ingram, definitely uh, you lump them in there, you know, with these guys, Even, even Adrian Peterson. Yeah, right. For the first couple of games in this season, he was all right, but. You know, it's just, it's, it's not a good situation when you look at these guys, the pounding that they've taken. Ingram has a lot of mileage on him, like a lot of mileage. And I think that, you know, when you look at what he's done this year, I think we are past him. And I think that, yeah, Greg Roman uh, and John Harbaugh have realized that, you know, listen, we invested this draft capital in JK Dobbins. We've, we drafted him to be that, you know, every down back and Lamar Jackson's Right. You know, when you put Ingram in there, what everybody's like, oh, they're, they're running the ball right up the middle. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's just that's what they're going to end up doing. Uh, and we've seen defenses be able to really kind of take care of that. When you have a back who is as versatile as Dobbins is, you know, it, it obviously keeps them on their toes. They don't know if a run or a pass is coming based on the personnel that's out there. And I think that's actually one thing that's really, really hindered this Ravens team right now. And really hindered Lamar Jackson in that it's so inconsistent out of the backfield that they need to really get a grip on that, like rotating backs in and having this three headed monster, uh, isn't the right way to do it. You know, when you saw, uh, you know, when, when you're, when you're doing RPO work and the quarterback is looking to flip the ball back. Well, you know what? I mean, Ingram's a half a step behind Gus Edwards and Gus Edwards is two steps behind, uh, in the timing than JK Dobbins. and so that's throwing off Lamar Jackson in a number of ways as well. Uh, not to mention the fact of you know who's better at you know with a block and release so that he does have somebody to dump the ball off to. And I think that that's that's a definite huge problem that they're having in Baltimore. And I think putting Dobbins in there front and center and just leaving him there is the solution to the problem.
0: I actually think the Ravens had a plan this season to rely more heavily on Ingram, not because they would think that he's the better player than Dobbins, who they obviously invested some serious draft capital in, but because the way they structured his contract is that like next season, he can be released with very little dead money left on the cap. And so I think they were treating this as sort of a, a lame duck season for Ingram, where if they were going to be as effective offensively as I'm sure they expected because of last season, Ingram could just... Be an effective player, and he hasn't been terrible. I mean, 50.9% success rate, worse on the team, but really not that bad relative to other teams. I think having Lamar at quarterback just makes it easier on his backs in general. But th- since things have kind of taken a turn for, for the for the worse for the team's offense, I just don't think they can rely on the, the relatively lesser back. Uh, because they need to start winning these games, and I think that's probably why the transition is going to happen, and Ingram probably won't be with the team next season. Not that he was going to be anyway, but the, the transition is happening a little sooner than I expected. Okay, Howard, hit us with your second choice as
1: a, a waiver wire ad for for Week 12. Um, can I please have all the shares of Michael Pittman as I can get? <laughs> Right, I mean, yeah, yes, it's unbelievable. The, his ownership rates are are insane. I mean, listen, I get it. You know, injured before, and a lot of people, uh, you know, not able to stash him away because commissioners were not smart enough to increase the number of of IR spots on a roster. But I mean, listen, if we've if we've caught anything over these last three weeks, it is uh, Pittman has great hands. Uh, he can run his routes cleanly. Uh, He can pick up yards after the catch. Uh, Yesterday's touchdown run was, uh, you know, catch and run was absolutely fantastic or this past Sunday, uh, should I say, Um, you know, so I look at at, at Michael Pittman as being a guy where, you know, again, another another 30 year old who fell off a cliff in uh, in our good friend T.Y. Hilton that Philip Rivers has really needed a go-to wide receiver all season long. He hasn't had it. I mean, I know, you know, you you look at the way they spread the ball out, and Rivers is, I mean, really, I mean, he hit like 10 or 12 different receivers or pass catches. You know, all three tight ends uh, jumped into the mix. Uh, You know, Hilton had catches, Pittman, Zach Paschal. I mean, it was just, you, you look at this and you're like, man, if they just kind of, Zoned in on, you know, two or three guys instead of 10 to 12 guys. uh, You know, I really think that this team could move the ball and build some momentum, and Rivers would have that steady rapport uh, with them. So, Michael Pittman is a guy who uh, should be, if he hasn't already, through three games being off IR, uh, established himself as the number one receiver in this offense, then I don't know what more he needs to do. But fantasy owners need to own him.
0: Yeah. I'm really not sure what the the general consensus is going to be after this week. He had the 66 yards and the touchdown. I think the touchdown was like a 45 yarder. So that accounted for a big chunk of his fantasy production on just three targets. But I mean, honestly, I wasn't really expecting a ton in that Green Bay matchup where they have Jair Alexander, one of the league's best corners, and then very little else as far as pass defense goes. So like production wise, I think you're kind of thrilled at what you got. And as such, I'm I'm kind of leaning heavily on the the bigger trends of him, one, leading all the wide receivers on the team with an 80% snap share, and two, the 16.4% target share since week nine. It's 64th among wide receivers, but I think still pretty encouraging, at least 56 yards in those games. But really more than even the production to date, I think the reason that, that Pittman is a target for you this week is that his schedule going forward is just tremendous for for wide receivers. The next three weeks, he faces the Titans, Texans, and Raiders. Those are the 25th, 22nd, and 19th teams in DVOA pass defense, playing all of those games in the Dome, um, either at home in Indianapolis next week or road domes in Texas and Las Vegas. So I think – this is probably a really good time to invest and he could be another week away from another 100 yard game away from, from being, you know, an entire fab bid or higher if he isn't already. So I think now is probably the time to jump on Pittman uh, while maybe he's still a a little bit more affordable than he could be going forward. Okay. For my second pick for, for week 12 here, I'm going to go with tight end Dallas Goddard. This is actually going to be a two for one special because Zach Ertz is eligible to come off injured reserve. The team designated to, uh, him to return last week, which means that they have either this week or next week has to be the game. They activate him. Uh, because of the the new IR rules that are this year. Uh, but I'd say pick up both players, frankly. Goddard had a really nice game on Sunday, five catches for 77 yards and a touchdown, on six targets. He played 100% of the offensive snaps. So even though we saw Richard Rodgers getting a little bit involved, in two weeks ago had the better production th- than Goddard, Goddard actually was out of that game for a little bit, dealing with an injury. I think this kind of shows you a clear indication of the pecking order. And if you're able to sort of hunt and peck and find all the games where Goddard was actually healthy weeks one, two, 10 and 11, he was seventh among tight ends with a 19% target share. So I think now that you have him healthy, he's really heavily involved in this offense may honestly be the number one target in that offense. I probably still lean Travis Fulgham there, but with, with the problems that exist at tight end outside of the top three or four Goddard is very clearly in my mind, a top 10 option at the position now and still like shockingly available and 40% Forty percent of ESPN leagues, for instance. So maybe it's somebody that can help you down the stretch here, with
1: very few other alternatives
0: at the position.
1: Yeah, and with the struggles that you see on the offensive line for Philadelphia, um, you know, you 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 know that the short, quick passing is what needs to happen there, and that'll mm. feature the tight end a little bit more. You know, one of the, you mentioned Travis Fulgham. Uh, you know, he, I, I think they might struggle a little bit. Uh, trying to get to him downfield, he just doesn't have the time to to run the routes like he really should. I mean, the the pressure that Carson Wentz has been under. So to to have a guy like Dallas Goddard, who's a solid pass catcher, really good hands, uh, and I think that he can run those quick short routes and uh, and get that timing down. You know, working well. Uh, you know, I, I get what you're saying about Zach Ertz. I'm kind of done with Zach Ertz. I feel like the Eagles <laughs> Fair, might be done yeah. with Zach Ertz. You know, he started complaining about the contract. Uh, right. early on in the season. And the next thing you know, he's being phased out of the passing game uh, and all eyes are on Goddard until he got hurt. So, you know, yeah, I guess in, in a way, if you want to handcuff and uh, and take a look at that, but Goddard over Ertz for me is uh, is definitely the play.
0: I agree. If, if for no other reason than the health, I'll take the healthy player right now with not a lot of time left in the season and maybe take advantage. Okay, Howard, hit us with your third choice of a waiver ad for week 12. All
1: right. So we're digging deep, right? We got to go dumpster diving. We got to look at the <laughs> yes. bad teams who everybody ignores. And who's worse than the New York Jets, right? Come on. You want a two-for-one special? I give you a two-for-one special. I'll favor Brashad Perriman okay. over Denzel Mims, only because right now Perriman, uh, who I actually really liked preseason, and you know I was getting him uh, in the 13th, 14th round of of most drafts. He was just being... Uh, left to, to, you know, fend for himself. And, you know, I thought that he was going to be really nice. The injuries obviously got the better of him again, which has been a problem throughout his career. But if there's one thing that we've uh, we've been able to embrace over these last couple of weeks is that uh, the relationship between Perriman and Joe Flacco, which dates back to when they were with the Ravens together, uh, gives you that air of familiarity and the on-field rapport—they know each other. They're very familiar with uh, with with their tendencies. I know Perriman, uh, who really loves to study the game, really was intent on studying all the nuances of Joe Flacco's game when he came in as a rookie. So to see the two of them sort of bond with each other, and and now Perriman, uh finding the end zone again in uh, you know this past week, he's got three touchdowns over the last two games. Uh, to me, garbage time points count and it doesn't yeah. matter if the jets are getting blown out by anybody or everybody, uh, they're going to have to continue to throw the ball. Uh, you know, it's a tough matchup against Miami, but then you've got Las Vegas, you've got Seattle coming up in weeks 13 and 14, uh, as a wide receiver three play. I love, uh, grabbing Brashad Paraman as a, uh, as an option.
0: Yeah, I'm glad that you're favoring Perriman here because I think a lot of fantasy owners, um, at least the ones that are in the deep enough leagues to be targeting these Jets receivers, may be looking more at Denzel Mims because he's led Perriman in targets over the last couple of weeks. But Perriman scoring those touchdowns, it isn't an accident. I think since the start of last year, Perriman is top 10 at the position in opportunity adjusted to receiving touchdowns per target. He's a big player. He's talented um, to box out in the end zone. I think that he's probably going to be the team's primary focus when they get near the goal line. And so while the Jets may not be scoring all the time, uh, they do have those garbage time opportunities to maybe get those extra looks. And as such, I think Perriman is the player of the two to target going forward this season as well. And then for me, I'm going to wrap this up with uh, my last choice for week 12 is James White. And Howard, I actually may need your help with this because I have White and uh, Damian Harris, both of the Patriots, kind of tentatively at equal fab values for this week. And you may can help me sort it out. The reason that I, that I think these players are targets is because Rex Burkhead seems likely to have torn his ACL last week. Um, he actually only managed 17% of the offensive snaps before getting hurt. And so I was kind of looking at the offensive snap shares of Harris and White, trying to figure out who the major beneficiary was. Harris ended up at 38%, which is kind of in that range of 31 to 55% he had been in anyway in his previous four games. In contrast, White jumped up to 57%, where he had just been at 17 and 26% in the previous two games. So you're like, oh, okay, obviously White must be the player that's going to be benefiting from the passing down work that that Burkhead was getting. Burkhead was kind of more the versatile option, White more the pass specific option, and Harris more the specific run option prior to this week. But the, the thing of it is so much of this seems game script dependent with the Patriots. And that's kind of always been their MO is that you know, like as soon as a Patriots running back had a big game, you could just ignore them for the next month. Um and I'm I'm fearful that that could be happening with White, too, because, again, 57% snap share in this game. But he had 53% in Week 4, 54% in Week 6, 48% in Week 8, kind of randomly strewn throughout the season. But all of those games were Patriots' losses where they trailed, where I'm wondering whether it may just be – The fact that the Patriots were down to the Texans so much of this game, and that's mainly the reason why White was so involved. Do you think that that White is maybe a player that's going to be getting more work regardless of game script going forward? Or do you think that uh, this may have just been a situational red herring type of situation for he and maybe you favor Harris or maybe even favor Sonny Michelle going forward in this backfield. Do you have any thoughts?
1: Yeah. You know, it's, it's funny. I mean, listen, we're, we're still trying to sort out for, for, you know, since Corey Dillon was the lead running back for the new England Patriots, we've still been trying to figure out who the, who to start uh, in fantasy. I think you hit the nail on the head. You have to look at what the potential game script is because, you know, without uh, you know, they don't throw, they don't throw to Damian Harris. They don't throw to Sonny Michelle. Oh, well, maybe Sonny Michelle a little bit more than Damian Harris. But, you know, they definitely save the passing down work for James White. Um, I do think he benefits more from uh Rex Burkhead being out because he was Burkhead was definitely that hybrid uh running back. Um, I guess Sonny <laughs> Sony Michelle's a poor man's Rex Burkhead. Is that how it's gonna kind of slot in know. there? But I mean, listen. I, uh, you know, if, if you if you look at the schedule coming up uh, for New England, I think that you can sort of uh, go back and forth and figure out, you know, where you're going to go. They're they're facing Arizona uh, this week. I'd probably want more James White there. Uh, they go up against the Chargers uh, the week after, and you know, I look at the uh, at the Chargers and what their defense uh, tends to do when they're uh they're a, they're a home favorite. And think, well, you know what, Damian Harris slash Sony Michelle might be the way to go mm-hmm. uh, in Week 13. Then they got the rent. I mean, so it's you know, it's a back and forth situation here. If I'm owning, you know, if I want to own one or two of these running backs, uh, then it, it's it's James White first for me. Then it's Damian Harris, uh, only because I think that with Sony Michelle, that eats into more of Harris's work than it does into James White's.
0: Yeah. Okay, well perfect. thanks for the inside hour. That's gonna wrap up this week's episode of the, of the Football Outsiders fantasy podcast. Thanks for coming on. Why don't you tell all of our listeners where they can uh, listen to
1: all of your great work and also read all of your great work? Well, thank you very much. Uh, everything over at fantasyalarm.com. Uh, you can find uh, all the all the seasonal NDFS work for football, baseball, all the all the things that I do over there. Uh, you can hear me. Uh, On uh, the Anti-Up podcast, which is part of the Sawdust Podcast Network, that's me and Adam Ronis, uh, Mm -hmm. and those episodes uh, Monday through Friday. Uh, I'm also doing the Fantasy Alarm NFL DFS podcast, which airs over at Fantasy Alarm. It's also on iTunes and Spotify. Uh, That's every Friday. You can catch me twice a week in the New York Post. That's right. Newspapers still exist, Scott. Unbelievable. (laughs) Uh, Every Tuesday and every Saturday, I've got a fantasy football column in the New York Post as well. Uh, And then, of course, Sirius XM Fantasy Sports Radio, Sirius 210, XM 87, Monday through Friday, me and Jim Bowden, uh, every six six o'clock in the evening, Eastern Time, six to eight p.m. Eastern.
0: I encourage everybody to check out all of Howard's great work. He is a pro. So thanks so much for coming on Howard. Um, I'm cause I'm like you, I'm a big fan of Thanksgiving. I'm taking off Friday to recover. Uh, so you can circle back next Tuesday to hear my week 13 waiver wire uh, thoughts. And until then I uh, hope you enjoy your, your long weekends and I'll talk to everybody next week.